good morning, College Hills. We are so glad to see you with us. Thank you, John and Lamar, for leading us in worship this morning. I want to wish everybody an early Merry Christmas. We are really glad that you are here if you're visiting with us today. And wanted to remind you, um, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in our special holiday schedule. And so I want to encourage you to take a look at the bulletin that was handed to you on the way in so you can be uh, reminded of the, the unique schedule that we'll have over the next couple of weeks. Uh, the next couple of Wednesday nights, we will not have classes. And the next two Sundays, we're going to have no classes and just one worship service at 10 a.m. And so we want to encourage you to be here as much as you can, especially on our Christmas Eve service later this week. There's a lot going on uh, and just want everybody to, to keep in the loop on what's happening in the life of our church. Um, before we jump into our text this morning, uh, last time that I preached was at the end of November and the elders were very kind to honor 10 years of service here at College Hills and I just wanted to, to say a big thank you to this church at the time. Didn't really have the words and didn't really want to trust myself to say anything in that moment, but just wanted to, to say thank you to this church for being such a beautiful uh, and wonderful glimpse of the kingdom over the last 11 plus years, and Jessica, Everly, and I are very grateful for you all and wanted to, to say thank you for that recognition uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, we are going to be in a passage this morning in Luke chapter 2, if you want to open uh, your Bibles to Luke 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 20 as we continue this theme of Christmas presents. Luke chapter 20, verses, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there... The time came for her to deliver the child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in a manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. 
But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this season of the year where we turn our hearts and our minds to your entrance into the world in the person of Jesus. We are grateful for that gift. We are grateful for the way that it has changed our lives and has changed the whole world. God, I pray today as we reflect on this beautiful passage that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching and that you would give us all the gift of open hearts, that we would hear your voice, be transformed by it, more into the image of your son, Jesus, by the power of your spirit, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I remember the Christmas that I received, probably one of the best Christmas presents that I've ever received. It was actually 30 years ago this Christmas. It was Christmas Eve of 1991, and our family was going through our typical Christmas routine on Christmas Eve. We would wake up in Clarksville, have kind of a calm, easygoing morning, and then about mid-afternoon, we would head to Madison, where my grandparents lived, where all of our family would gather for a feast of, of homemade lasagna by my aunt, washing it down with glass bottle Cokes, and then we would gather in the living room to open presents. And each Christmas Eve, I got the typical presents that I expected. Baseball cards, toys, gift cards, maybe an ornament. But on this Christmas Eve, there was a box waiting for me that I, I didn't expect. Much like the closing scene of the Christmas story where that box mysteriously appears for Ralphie, there was this box that mysteriously appeared seemingly out of nowhere. My aunt picked it up from under the tree and handed it to me, and as I felt the weight of it in my arms, my curiosity was raised even more. What was this gift inside the box? All it said on the top of the box was from Grandma to Wilson. As soon as it was my turn, I ripped open the wrapping paper, I lifted off the white cardboard top, and there in front of me was a homemade quilt made by my grandmother given to me. In one of the corners, it said, Grandma, 1991. And a huge grin broke across my face for a couple of reasons. One, I had never expected that I was going to get this gift from my grandmother. I remembered a few months before, we were talking, we were in her sewing room, and she was laying out for me a lot of the work that she had done, and she was showing me some of the quilts that she had made before. And I casually mentioned how I thought those were really cool and that one day I would love to have one, thinking that maybe one day she would give me one that she had made before. And so I was shocked but also gladdened by the fact that not only was I getting one, but I had one that she made just for me. And even today, I, I have this quilt, and every time I see it, a grin cracks across my face. Not just because I remember that special moment and this object is so special to me, this gift is so special to me, but it also showed me that night 
and another reason why a grin breaks across my face. Something about my grandmother. That my grandmother was this attentive and responsive and caring individual who responded to the needs of those around her. And on that night, I, I received not just a physical object of a gift, but that insight into who my grandmother was. But I also received on that night a, a truth about gifts that I think of often. And this is how I would say it. That the nature of a gift teaches us something about the nature of the giver. That when we receive a gift from someone, we are not just getting a gift, but we're receiving some insight into the kind of person that the giver is. And sometimes, like I learned on that night back in 1991, what we learn might surprise us a bit. I think that that's an important principle to keep in mind as we read through and reflect on this passage in Luke's gospel, specifically verses 8 through 20. Because in the way that Luke tells us this story about the gift of Jesus, he doesn't just tell us about the gift, but he also has some surprises for us in the way that he tells the story. The first surprise in our passage today is, is the people who first receive this news of Jesus. The first characters in the story to receive this news are the shepherds. And shepherds in that time and place would have been considered unsavory characters. And, and that wasn't just a description of their externals. They lived and worked in a field. And anyone who's gone camping for a few days understands that's going to make you a bit unsavory. They lived and worked in a field, but it was also a perception of their character. They weren't well thought of. They weren't trusted individuals. And so the fact that these are the first individuals to hear the news of the Messiah proclaimed is shocking and surprising to someone in the first century. A second thing that I think is also surprising about this passage and the way that Luke tells the story is the content of the message about Jesus that is given. Because Jesus is told that he is the Savior who is Messiah and Lord. And Messiah and Lord would have been very significant terms in that time and place. The word Messiah would have been a word that would have been very familiar to the Jewish people. It, it would have been this word that they used often to speak of God's anointed one and their longing for an anointed one to come and deliver them once and for all, for God to rescue them and set everything right. And that was going to happen when God's Messiah showed up. This word Lord would have been significant for Gentiles because this would have been the primary phrase that they would have used to describe Caesar, the person who was in charge of the whole empire. Caesar is Lord. It was this very royal term. And so the fact that Jesus is getting described as a Savior, both Messiah and Lord, is this expansive statement about who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to be up to. That this mission of Jesus isn't going to just be about the Jewish people, but it's also going to be about Gentiles as well. And as Luke and Acts unfolds, we see the truth of that description become very, very well known. And so right out of the gate, 
Luke tells us the story and reports this account of Jesus' birth and gives us a couple of surprises. Surprises in who receives the message first and a surprise in what the message is. But there's a, there's a third surprise in the way that Luke tells the story. And it's the surprise that I want us to focus on this morning. And the third surprise that I want us to focus on is the context of the message that Luke gives about this Messiah. Here's what we read about the context of the Messiah. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. The very first thing that these shepherds are told, before anything is told about who Jesus is, is that this news is good news of great joy. That the way that these angels frame what is about to be told to the shepherds about Jesus is that it is joyful news. Luke wants us to understand that this gift of Jesus is a gift of joy. And whether we realize it or not, with this introduction of this word, we, we are stepping into a really big theme for Luke's gospel. Joy is a really big concept that he's going to return to a lot, especially when describing the birth of Jesus. What's really interesting is in the chapter before this one, in Luke chapter 1, he, he introduces this idea of joy. Because he tells us that Mary is told that she is going to be with this child, this son of God. And then what we're told next is that Mary goes in haste to Elizabeth's house. And when Mary shows up to Elizabeth's house, the most amazing thing happens. The baby, John the Baptist, in Elizabeth's womb, leaps. And then Elizabeth describes this event with these words. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. The first individuals, the shepherds, who are told this message about Jesus are told that it is good news of great joy. And the chapter right before that, one of the first people other than Mary who, who meets Jesus is John the Baptist. And how does John the Baptist initially respond? He leaps for joy in Elizabeth's womb. This idea of joy connected with the birth of Jesus is a big theme for Luke. And the reason why it's such a big theme for Luke is because it is a big theme for Israel. That if you read through the Old Testament, what you're going to see is, is that they talk about joy a lot. But joy for the people of Israel was, was never some generic, superficial concept. But it was very specific. It was always connected to God. It was always connected to the Lord or the day of the Lord when God was going to come and set everything right. When God was going to come and dwell with his people once and for all. And prophet after prophet was promising that this day would come. One example that I want to show us is from Isaiah 25. This is what Isaiah says. 
Then the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the disgrace of his people he will take away from all of the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. The people of God had these prophets that kept pointing them to this future day when God was going to save them. Where God was going to be faithful and God was going to save them. And the faithfulness of God that the the people of God celebrated was always about God keeping his promises. God being faithful to the covenant that he set in motion. And the salvation was, was always about that future day, the day of the Lord when God was going to come and set everything right. Joy wasn't generic for the people of God. It was very specific. Here's a definition that I would offer that I think reflects this big theme that we see, not just in the prophets, but also in Luke. I would say that joy is deep gladness because of God's faithfulness to us and God's future for us. Joy is deep gladness because of God's faithfulness to us and God's future for us. That, that this conviction that the people of God carried year after year after year is happening in the person of Jesus. The reason why Luke talks so much and uses this word joy so much, 11 times total in his gospel, more than any other gospel writer, is because in Jesus, he not only sees Jesus as God's faithfulness made known in the flesh, God keeping his promises, but it was also in Jesus that the future was being broken in, that the future was breaking in in this unique, beautiful, miraculous way. In the person of Jesus, we see God's faithfulness and God's future. And so, of course, as as Luke is articulating, how do I describe, how do I report this good news? The word that he comes back to over and over again is this word, joy. This idea of deep gladness because of God's faithfulness and God's future. That's one big reason that we need to pay attention to this theme. Because for Luke, he's tapping into this big theme for the people of God, age after age after age. But the second reason that we need to pay attention to this big theme of joy for Luke goes back to what we said earlier about the nature of gifts and the nature of those who give them. The only reason that Jesus can be considered a gift of joy is because the God who gives Jesus is a God of joy. The only way that Jesus can be this gift of deep gladness is because the God who gives the gift of Jesus is a God of deep gladness as well. If there was one book that I would recommend for any Christian to read, it would be the book The Good and Beautiful God by James Brian Smith. I know a lot of people here have have read this book. I know I've read it a few times with different groups of people and on my own. There's a quote early in the book which 
kind of gives a glimpse into why I think this is such an important book for Christians to read. The author writes, Jesus revealed his father to us. To know the God of Jesus is to know the truth about who God really is. And what James Bryan Smith goes on in this book to, to discuss and to describe is, is for the reader, for us, to wrestle with who we think God is. Because as he makes the case in this book, we all have views of God, we all have images of God that we carry with us. And some of those views can be really helpful and, and some of those views can be really harmful. Some of those views can be really toxic and some of those views can be very truthful. And what he encourages us to do in that book is to begin to see the God that we meet in Jesus. The God that Jesus believed in. To, to, be, to be the filter for, for all of the images of God that we may hold or carry. Because for some of us, God may be like an angry, irritated parent who kind of rolls his eyes as he tries to help us out. For others, God is kind of this angry old individual who, who seems to get upset all the time with his creatures and all of creation. But what James Bryan Smith goes on to argue is that, that those aren't accurate views of God because they don't reflect the God that we meet in Jesus. And so he keeps bringing us back to who is the God we meet in Jesus? Who is the God we meet in Jesus? Because when we meet that God, we meet who God truly is. In fact, I think one of the ways that we could sum up the journey of discipleship is, is to describe it as a journey of us releasing toxic and harmful views of God and receiving healthy and holy and truthful views of God. And that journey of discipleship, I think, is, is one of the things that we see playing out at the beginning of Luke's gospel. Because the very first two people to get this divine announcement about Jesus' birth and what that means for the world have almost identical experiences. Mary and the shepherds. Now, when the angel shows up to Mary, this is what we read. And then he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she, Mary, was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And then when the angel shows up, the next chapter, to, to tell the same news to the shepherds, this is what we read. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. When the angel shows up to Mary, and when the angel shows up to the shepherds, the response of both is initially fear and terror. And that's understandable, right? Because when angels show up to me, I get a little startled, always startles me a little bit, always makes me a little afraid. It's understandable that the first response would be that these individuals are startled. They're afraid. They're filled with terror. But I think there's this other deeper thing that's going on as Luke is telling us this story. And it's not just about them being startled in the moment, but it's, it's about this deeper storyline that Mary and the shepherds were living by 
that the angels were trying to lead them away from. Because to both, the angel says, do not be afraid. This God that you meet in Jesus is not a God that you need to be terrified of. But they don't just lead Mary and the shepherds away from fear, but they also lead them towards something new. They give them new words to describe this God they meet in Jesus. To Mary, she is told that she is a favored one. She is a one graced by God. In other words, God is a God of grace who gives the gift of favor to Mary. And to the shepherds, instead of being taken away from fear and just being left out on their own, instead they are told that this is a gift of joy. Good news of great joy for all the people. In other words, they're given this view of God, of God as a God of gladness, and God is a God of joy. Now, we might think that favor and joy are two different things. But what's really interesting about these words that are used here in the original language is that they both come from the same root word and they only differ by one single letter. In other words, these angels are pointing both Mary and the shepherds away from fear into a very similar new picture of who God is. God is this God of, of joy. God is this God of gladness. God is this God of favor and grace, and we meet that God in the person of Jesus. And that is this invitation that Mary and the shepherds are invited to receive. But I also think that's the invitation for us. I think we too are invited to step away from, from these toxic and harmful views of God that we often carry and instead to receive this gift of Jesus where we meet this God who is good and joyful and glad and gracious. And when we receive that gift, we're changed. We become different people. Because that's the other thing about gifts that we can never forget, that, that the nature of a gift teaches us something about the nature of a giver, but it also transforms the one who receives the gift. When I received that quilt 30 years ago from my grandmother, it changed the kind of person that I was. Yes, it, it changed me because now I had this new object, and yes, it changed my view of my grandmother, but it also changed me. It made me want to be that kind of person in the world. It made me want to be the kind of person who gave those kinds of gifts. And I'm sure that you, at some point in your life, whether it was a birthday or a holiday, received some gift and it changed you in a profound way. It made you want to be a different kind of person. That's the nature of gifts. And that's the nature of what we find with these shepherds as well. Because they're completely changed when they receive this gift of Jesus, when they receive this gift of joy. They're, they're changed in their location because they leave the fields and their livelihood and they go find Mary and Joseph to tell them this news. They're changed in their vocation because no longer are they shepherds in the middle of a field, but now they become these messengers sent by God. And ultimately, they're changed in their relationship to God. 
that they start the story as these men who are deeply terrified by the presence of God. And then the very last thing that we read about them, after they go see Mary and Joseph and they give them this news, is that they returned glorifying and praising God for what had been told them and what they had seen. That is the possibility that Christmas holds for us each year. This experience of the shepherds can become our experience this year as we move towards the manger, as we see this gift of Jesus. I don't know what you see, but one of the things that Luke wants us to see is that this is a gift of joy. Because in Jesus, we see God's faithfulness to us, and in Jesus, we see God's future for us. And that is something that we can experience in the here and now. Yes, we face storms. Yes, we have difficult seasons, and I know that this is a difficult season for many of us. But we also have the promise of God's Spirit with us through all seasons and all storms. And that's deeper and stronger than anything that we may be going through. And if God's Spirit is anything, God's Spirit is a spirit of love and joy and peace. And so my encouragement for us today is to receive this gift of joy from God and allow it to transform us and change us to become joyful, glad kinds of people in the world. Christmas doesn't just invite us to the manger. It also sends us out as new and transformed people. So let's be those kinds of joyful, glad gracious people this week. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the gift of Jesus, for the way in which it changes our world and changes the whole world. It changes us because we see who you are in a clear and perfect way. God, help us to keep returning to this manger. Help us to keep returning to the gift of Jesus and being reminded of, of who you are and who you're calling us to be. God, I pray your blessing of peace and comfort, joy and love on each of us this week. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.